welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to the Deeply Discussing Dexter podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm here with Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 7, Circle of Friends. Uh, This episode brings back Jeremy Downs, who we've seen earlier in the season. Uh, We have, of course, another section about the ice truck killer and the appearance, the first appearance of the Paul character, uh, Paul Bennett, Rita's ex, or soon-to-be ex, uh, who shows up in this episode and causes trouble with, with Rita. What did you guys think of this episode overall? I liked this one. I thought it was a good one. I think we're on a real upswing from the first couple episodes. Well, the, the pilot was great, but the ones between the pilot and the last episode and this one were a little bit weak. I think we're really in a good place. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to remind you, you said during the pilot that you couldn't see why you liked the show. So, right. just to bring your words back to you. <laughs> I know, but I, I liked the idea of the show, I should say, with the first one. Okay. I agree, it was weak. I, it was weak, but um, I liked the concept that was being set up. But the episodes between that one and now are were kind of bland. Might have saved us about ten thousand emails by. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying said, for me. Yeah, yes. she said the she first didn't one. Like it. <laughs> I agree with Brooke. I think we're on a roll here. I was kind of, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, pleasantly surprised. I guess I was like, nice, a couple of good episodes to get into. This is fun. Uh, where we're at, where we're headed. Um, you know, this episode definitely. Like, I like that they brought back the Jeremy Downs character because i you know they left it open so why not um and then like it's it's suspenseful and there's a lot there's a lot of fun with it uh and there's some good lines so yeah i thought this was a good episode but this one felt more like filler than the last one did um it doesn't really advance many storylines uh and I guess it does uh, bring a couple questions about our preconceived notions of who the ice truck killer is. Um, so it, it works in that respect, but as a whole, I thought the episode felt a lot like we need to burn an episode. Well, didn't you get swept up and end up watching more episodes because you wanted to see the Paul story arc? Yes, I ended up finishing the season because (laughs) I needed to see Paul get his. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. um, Now, I thought this was a good episode, too, and I'll bring up uh, covering myself also from from comments from before. I could not remember uh, when we were last talking about Jeremy Downs, which was a couple of episodes back, uh, I couldn't remember if that character came back to haunt Dexter or not. Um, but during the podcast, I've, I threw, up, threw out that idea and said it would have been cool to have him come back. I don't remember if they do or not, but it would have been cool to have him come back and have it blow up in Dexter's face. And uh, Zach, I think you said that that was a really cool idea, and I kind of backed myself out and said, if it turns out that that's what happened and I just am misremembering it, I don't take any credit for that idea. Um, so I I don't take credit for that idea. I take credit for uh, not remembering that 
That is exactly what ends up happening. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's get into Jeremy Downs. Um, episode starts with Dexter saying the FBI says there are less than 50 serial killers active today. We don't get together at meetings. The lights come up and we see that Dexter's reenacting a stabbing over a victim at a crime scene. Doak says, I swear to Christ, Morgan, after this case, I'm submitting your ass for psychiatric evaluation. <laughs> um, one, on the, one of the wounds on the victim's wrist is not consistent with the rest. Dexter does not tell Dokes this because uh, he has a suspicion already as to who the killer is. And there is a goof. Both times they show the body on the ground, the neck is clearly, like, pulsing. Uh, it, it's clear, clearly a, an alive person laying there pretending to be dead. Uh, maybe that was just, like, the glory of Blu-ray. Maybe that you guys didn't notice that so much. but uh, I did not notice that. I actually noticed it on my tablet, but I thought it was my tablet was moving. Yeah. And so I kept having to try to readjust it because I thought the body was moving. I was like, oh, dear God. Uh, I'll say uh, as someone who's... Uh, I have never played a dead body. I I have played a dead... A person that was already dead, but they just took a picture of me and put it up on a board on Law & Order. But <laughs> I, I know... That as a as like maybe a dead body or a background actor or whatever, like it's hard to be in those moments because uh, you're trying your best and sometimes it's not that good, and uh, and you don't know necessarily uh, like the camera may be rolling, but you don't know what footage they're gonna use on the cutting room floor, and so that's on the editor in my opinion to I just agree. be like definitely you know, oh, yeah. you can't blame the actor for that both times. The only thing in frame is that that the actor, the, mm-hmm. the dead body actor. So either they just had nothing, they they never bothered to tell the actor to like hold still for the actual shot we're going to do here, or yeah. the actor just never did it, and they were like, well, you know, like. And the other thing too is like, you can. That's such an easy thing to cheat in the edit. Like, just take a still and and put some put some uh, you know put some grain effect or something over it to make it look like it's still a moving part of the image, but it's a still photo of him in one position. I don't know. Yeah. It just it just stuck out to me. It was like the first time they did something really cheesy and cheap with uh, with editing right. like that. Well, on a show about murder, you probably should know the basics of making somebody look dead. Yeah. Kind of murder show 101. There's some pretty serious neck wounds, and his neck is just like... Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe I missed it. Uh, Dexter's comparing the knife wounds uh, back in his office and confirms that it is Jeremy Downs, the kid that Dexter nearly killed but let slide because... The guy that he had murdered had raped him. Uh, Dexter goes looking for Jeremy Downs and talks to this goth kid with a guitar. The kid says he'll do Dexter for less because he needs the cash. So apparently Downs is uh, a hustler, a male prostitute. Dexter finds Downs and tries to trick him into believing he's a John. He has like sunglasses on and a hoodie. But Doak shows up out of nowhere, almost knocks Dexter down, and then tackles Downs. And... He's not sure if he saw Dexter in the park or not. This was an interesting scene because for somebody not trying to attract attention, he looked like the Unabomber. 
<laughs> he is the person I would have immediately called the cops on. Like, this guy's <laughs> right. about to do something. Well, I think he was trying to get uh, Jeffrey Downs' attention and look like an amateur guy just looking for a looking for a date. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, even then, like, I wouldn't have gone into the woods with what Dexter looked like dressed like that. And I would have been like, dude, you gotta, you're getting me something, you know? I mean, like, I mean, if even if it is cheap, it's still gotta be, there's gotta be something there to entice me. Also, when the goth kid offered him a discount, I mean, come on. Yeah. Before he knew how much they charged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, wait, what does Jeremy charge? Goth kid was not smart. Not a good businessman. No. He, he was not. Um, Dexter gets called into the office. Dokes confronts Dexter and asks why his instincts are always right when it comes to killers. And we hear uh, one of the first times that Dokes says, I'm watching you. Dexter comes to confront Je- Jeremy in the interrogation room. He asks him why he kills again. Uh, Down says, I feel nothing at all. Dexter asks him if killing makes it feel better. And Down says it makes it feel worse than ever. Dexter scrapes under his fingernails and tells him that he's empty too, and his solution is to pretend to feel and that maybe one day it will be real, uh, which is kind of Dexter's experience of, you know, he's starting to care about people in his life. He's starting to care about Rita and Deb and that kind of thing. Then Dexter's at his apartment weighing the recent events. He saw himself and Jeremy but failed to help him. He goes to visit Downs again in uh, jail but finds that he's just committed suicide. In the previous scene where he's collecting under his fingernails, he tells Downs that he should only kill people who deserve to die. And that's what he says when he finds him after he commits suicide. He's like, Jeremy did it. He killed somebody who deserved to die. Right. And I thought that was a, a pretty good scene. And I, I don't know really if that's what they were going for but almost like Dexter takes a moment to look at himself and be like you know I probably deserve to die yeah it was interesting that this character came back and Dexter saw it as a failure on his part right as opposed to something that this kid had done wrong because Dexter should have either killed him or spared him and helped him deal with who he was instead of just sparing him and leaving him to twist in the wind, basically. Yeah, I thought this was a really interesting dynamic. Probably the more interesting part of this episode for me was really, uh, did Dex feel guilty over the, the murders that were done after he let Downs live? Not so much. He seemed to feel a lot more guilty about letting Jeremy Downs down. It's a lot of down, but... Um, and he's so sympathetic to Downs because he realizes that, you know, he was just one step away from be- being just like him if it hadn't been for Harry and the Code. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting insight, this whole dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. He let downtown Jeremy Downs down. <laughs> yes. It's a <laughs> lot of Downs. So many. Um, I think there was like... Um, there's a, a you know an interesting parallel between the two, but at the same time, um, it seemed like uh, oh, what was I going to say oh the Jer- uh, yeah why didn't um, Jeremy? 
call him out to like the other officers. Like he clearly didn't, I guess, recognize him from the uh, from the park. Although I think he did at the last second. I feel like he he like he could see what was going on, but I think maybe he also had an inclination in his head that was like, oh, this this is that guy who tried to kill me the first time or whatever. But like, why do you think he didn't bring him up? It wasn't it didn't pertain to the the case he was in. But like, he could have been like, hey, by the way, that guy snuck into my halfway house and tried to kill me. You know, like. So the last time that he talks to to Jeremy, it's when he goes to like scrape under his nails and ask him uh, if killing helps him not feel empty and all that stuff. As soon as he walks into the room, Jeremy's like, "What? Wait, are you a cop or something?" And that's as far as it goes. Uh, okay, so he, did, he doesn't know he's a cop, I guess, or he just realized it. He just realizes it in their last scene together. Yeah. And you also kind of wonder, you know, it's just kind of how Dex feels this connection to Jeremy, and he feels this connection to the ice truck killer. Does Jeremy have that kind of sense of connection, too, where, yeah, okay, this guy tried to kill me, but he didn't. We are a lot alike, and he kind of feels almost um, like Dex is the first person he's ever encountered who he maybe understands and who maybe understands him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think for... For Dexter, this turns into, you know, it could have very easily been a thing where Dexter was feeling bad that other people had to die because he didn't take Jeremy Downs out. But it's more that he feels guilty that he didn't help the kid more because the kid was more like him than uh, than he thought. Yeah, there's no sign of any kind of guilt or remorse over the murders that have happened to Jeremy's hand since he let him live. It's just really like, you know, it's all about how he failed Jeremy, and there's nothing about, well, if I had done, if I had killed him when I had the chance, he wouldn't have gone on and killed more. It just does not, it doesn't compute with Dexter to even have that feeling. Well, he actually does say it at one point. He said, if I had taken care of Jeremy way back when this school would still have their yearbook editor. Oh, he does say that. That is true. But is it is it guilt over the the yearbook editor being dead or just over a sense of failure that he didn't follow through like he should have just by his code or So yeah. at the at the top of the episode, which is when he <clears throat> says that, when he's when he's over the body and he's realizing mm-hmm. that, that Downs killed the guy, I think he starts out on he starts out feeling like I should have killed him when I had the chance because he's killing people that don't deserve it again. But the further he gets into the storyline, he realizes that it's not, it's not really a, that's not really the case that the, the, the killing is something that he's trying to do to get away from how empty he is inside. And then Dexter failed to take care of him more. So yeah, that, that's sort of a, uh, a shift that happens with him over the the course of the episode that by the time he's in the interview room with him you know if he'd gone if they'd gone straight into the interview room after finding the body Dexter would have you know either tried to kill him or been like you know I'll I'll find you you know you won't escape I'll I'll still get you at some point kind of thing um, so then the uh, the other big storyline here is the ice truck killer. Uh, we're, we're back to him after an episode away because last episode we were dealing with the fallout of him uh, throwing that body back into Dexter's 
face and almost getting Dexter caught. Uh, Angel finds Deb asleep in LaGuardia's office. Uh, he makes a comment that if he says something about how if he were 10 years younger and Deb says, I'd be in high school. Um, it's just a conversation they have about how she's got nothing to do on a Friday night. And Angel's like, well, if I was 10 years younger and Deb says, well, if I, I would have been in high school. So, and he said, well, and was, if I wasn't married and 10 years younger, yes, bringing that, that marriage thing back into it. Sad, he's sad so, Batista is back. He's so <laughs> solidly married guys. Yeah. I, I still technically have a wife. <laughs> um, Deb has been staying up late trying to ch- uh, chase leads on the ice truck killer. Neil Perry's name comes up as one of the ones from her new profile. Uh, he was on the show a few episodes back being weird and talking to dokes in an interrogation room and they cut him loose, called him a looky-loo. They go to his uh, trailer and find a wood panel car and then notice the security cameras watching them. Uh, and then Perry escapes out of a floor panel, stabs their tires, and gets to another car and gets away. So now Deb and uh, Angel are pretty sure they figured out who the ice truck killer is. Uh, LaGuerta starts a briefing about this. Uh, Angel's put in charge of the task force, and he re- recruits Deb onto it. And then Angel, Deb, and Masuka are running Perry's trailer as a crime scene it's full of taxidermy equipment and animals uh masuka says something about his own interest in taxidermy and deb asks angel if she can run masuka's prints as the ice truck killer and masuka says no need for that i can give you some warm dna right now that's just oh boy <laughs> yeah. uh... <laughs> and we're this... back with masuka, masuka. Yes. <laughs> thanks masuka an unnamed officer finds evidence on Perry's computer about how to butcher a human carcass and searches that he made about countries without extradition treaties. Um, so yeah, it's it's looking more and more like this is the ice truck killer. Um, but yeah, I I did want to point out that Masuka is very much back in this episode. Uh, I didn't miss him. Yeah, <laughs> one of the one of the grosser lines of his uh, and it doesn't help that he does this little laugh after that too uh, what's what's more disturbing about it is with all of the disturbing things going on like the weird uh, taxidermy and everything that's the most disgusting thing of that scene yeah not the right time Masuka not the right time uh, Deb finds a closet with a fake back containing a bunch of file folders. They find crime scene photos that were not taken by the police. Deb says, did we hit the, hit the mother load? Angel says, no, we hit the motherfucking mother load. That gets my worst line of, this, of the episode. Definitely. It really loses... <laughs> the motherfucker loses something when it's not said by dokes. Uh, yeah, had dokes said it, it would have worked. I actually have it as my best line. <laughs> I love it when things are repeated for emphasis. Yeah, I uh, I would have would have chosen Masuka's warm DNA line, but the motherfucking mother load is like the lamest, most angel thing to say right there. It's like a dad joke. It is kind of like stop. 
<laughs> if you're not dokes, don't say it. Collect your things and please leave. <laughs> it's also right. something that like you would you can hear Deb saying, right? But not Angel. It doesn't make any sense coming from Angel. It's just lame, <laughs> lame, lame. It's because Deb missed her shot. Uh, uh, LaGuerta tells Matthews about Perry. She's planning to excavate his patio. Matthew says, I've been kicking your ass because I knew you had this in you. LaGuerta says, well, thank you for making me the woman I am today. Uh, their very contentious relationship continues. Uh, Deb calls Dexter to Perry's. Silly music plays as Dexter looks at all the taxidermy animals, including a dog's head that's mounted on the wall. Uh, Dexter tells Deb that the ice truck killer doesn't fit Neil Perry's M.O. Even as they're speaking, Masuka lifts a skeleton out of the patio hole. And Dexter's confused. He thinks Perry might be the killer and is very, very disappointed. I gotta throw back to the taxidermy here a little bit. I rewound the scene three times to see all the stuff around this this trailer. Man, whoever came up with this stuff is sick. I don't care about the murders. That's not nearly as creepy as some of this shit. There was the pregnant mannequin in the back with an animal head and pasties. I don't know if anybody caught that. And then there was a a hoof with fishnets and like a lucite stripper heel. Like, I just... Genius and... Wrong, wrong, so wrong. There's like a wolf's head with a wedding dress on. I missed that. See, I'm gonna have to watch it two more times. That's that's. It's not there. It's in the scene where uh, the unnamed officer is looking at the computer. There's oh, a scene where they just sort of like one somebody like looks over to the side and then it pans over and shows you this wolf's head with like a wedding dress on. <laughs> I guess I missed it. Just you know what the genius. best part of that is. <laughs> The, the best part is they probably didn't custom make any of that. They probably just found it like an antique store or some shit. Yeah. I'm so sad that you're probably right about that. I'm going to need a minute to process yeah. the fact that that is probably true. I'd say like yeah. one Florida block party and they've got all of that stuff. <laughs> oh, that is hey. a true statement. Oh. Uh, Dale, Dale, I'm glad you brought up that single dog head because it that caught my attention. And for some reason, it looks like the taxidermy dog that's in the show TV show Scrubs that they use uh, for like part of their jokes. Roadie, yes, it, it looks like the same exact dog, but it's just sectioned off to just be its head. I don't know if that's an Easter egg. That would be crazy, but that's yeah. what I thought. Um, and I forget what he picks up. It's like a. Uh, a raccoon or something like it's that. A, it's a rabbit with antlers. What is it that Dexter picks up and like makes the same face as it? Oh, that I was think it's a, like a raccoon head on a plate with blood around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And De- and Dexter was hilarious in that scene. His reaction to everything, that look of just sheer amusement, I thought was fantastic. He wasn't yeah. creeped out. He was just amused, which was great. The, the, the best thing is Dexter spends like this entire episode in a deep funk because he he really thinks that Perry is probably the killer and it's just it's eating away at him. He's like, "Well, damn it." Until he sees all the weird taxidermy shit. <laughs> this is one moment of glee until the end. Um, Angel gives a briefing on Perry and reveals that the body found under the patio was uh, the mother. Uh, LaGuerta has phone records that show that he was on the 
strip or wherever the hookers hang out during the time of the killings. Dexter reflects how much he liked that first ice truck uh, killer victim. He's like really bummed out about how lame this guy is turning out to be. Uh, Dev and Angel go to a motel and the motel operator says, they come, they go. Get it? They come. <laughs> Worst line. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that one. That, that's a true contender, yeah. A lot of bad lines in this one. You liked that one, Zach? <laughs> no, I mean, I, li- I liked Zach's it for the bad line. line. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the lines you guys like is bad lines. I think they're great lines. Yeah. So, you're, talking, you know, cop- you're talking to the police <laughs> at your, like, ho hotel. <laughs> she didn't right. even, like, stop, like, yeah, she was still watering her plants yeah. or whatever she was doing. <laughs> That's Miami, baby. That's Miami. <laughs> um, she says that Perry is a regular. He has a room that he rents monthly. Angel and Deb go in and find a woman gagged and tied down to the bed. She says she, he was going to the liquor store and coming right back. And so they kind of look at each other and end up regagging her and leaving her on the bed. Uh, he returns to the room. She's still tied down, but Angel comes up behind him and arrests him. And he sings some kind of weird lullaby as they're taking him down. I gotta wonder how how many of those rooms that that woman cleans or her staff cleans that look like that room does. <laughs> when you go, it's, it's torn apart. It's disgusting. You know, I mean, I can only imagine like how, how often rooms are just like so gross. Not in not in that capacity, but even just regularly hotel rooms, you know, or motel rooms. Why she waters the flowers so she doesn't have to go clean the the rooms. She's just focusing on the flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was was trying to give him a hint about it. It's like, it's just going to be (laughs) wall-to-wall semen. (laughs) It's like, we're not even going to bother taking samples. I mean, like, Masuka was just in there with his warm (laughs) DNA. Oh. Sorry. Everything's ruined. <laughs> Masuka and a super soaker. And uh, oh. everything's ruined, yeah. So, uh, Deb and Dokes have a conversation. Deb says it isn't fair that Dokes wasn't part of the team when they caught Perry. She also mentions that Tucci is getting out of the hospital and having a party that night. And then at Tucci's party, Rudy gives a speech about how brave, crazy bastard Tucci is. They reveal his prosthetic leg. Shonda says, hey, look at that, half human, half machine. And Tucci says, but all man, baby. God, another contender for worse than mine. Just, I said the last episode was all good lines. This one's all bad lines. There's nothing good. <laughs> uh, Deb talks to Rudy. Rudy says, how often do you make someone whole? How often do you get to make someone whole? Because uh, he, he made the prosthetics. He invites Deb to dinner and she accepts. Doke shows up awkwardly with some beer like completely out of place at the party um perry continues to blather on in his interview matthew says it please laguerta finally makes her move and starts talking about how the real fun isn't until he gets into court and then perry admits that he admits to the ice truck killer crimes and has information that the police never released i like the scene with laguerta i thought this was the first time we've seen her do a, a good interrogation we get to see how she climbed the ladder and how she got to where she is because she actually was really good in this scene she read him like a book and knew just what to ask so i really liked liked that yeah it's the first time we see her actually be competent i think mm-hmm. yeah uh 
because a lot of a lot of what's what's happened before it's always kind of felt to me like she politically made her way up you know or she used blackmail to make her way up and this is something that she's actually doing that is uh that that she's she's executing well I'm just gonna. I, I the reason I had a reaction, Dale, at the, when you read the Rudy line. How often do you get to make someone whole? It's just because you know, like I'm not gonna say anything, but it's just one of those moments where you're like, ah, <laughs> the things that they write into the show. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> well, and that comes back. So then Deb and Rudy are hanging out. Um, their dinner that they end up going to. They take a bottle of the champagne from the party and go to a hot dog stand. They're just, like, <laughs> sitting on his car, I guess. Uh, Rudy tells Deb that his mother lost both her legs in a car accident, and then he wanted to put her back together, but the pieces just weren't around. So that's his, like, how he got into prosthetics. And then he kisses Deb. Like, the least romantic date possible, and, of course, Deb is <laughs> all in. Or is it the most romantic date? <laughs> like, I'm hey. not tossing the hot dog stand to the side. Like, come on. Champagne and a hot dog stand sounds like a pretty good date to me. I gotta say, from the female perspective, that's that's a win. Yeah, talking about your dismembered mother and how you want to put her back together—that's <laughs> great conversation. And then you for move in for the date. first kiss, right? As you're talking about that too, that's just yeah, sixty percent of the time it works every time. Right. A passion. And if you're if you're nice, maybe I'll make you whole. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Fill all those empty spaces. Somebody, we need no, to play like Masuka. Right. Getting weird. Getting weird. <laughs> Masuka. Yeah. <laughs> We're all turning into Masuka. It's getting concerning. It's it's a hot dog stand. It's it's all there and all there in the subtext. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are you saying Deb's a hot dog stand? <laughs> Is that what <laughs> Oh, poor Deb. Oh. It's going so wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Popping bottles and hot dogs. <laughs> what are we even doing? What is this podcast? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, we're uncovering secrets. It's like it's like uh, it's like tombs of the emperors. Like this is like we're really getting deep, it's deeply disgusting. Dexter, we're getting deep, guys. I think we're moving well past Dexter. Oh my god, Dev is a hot dog stand. It's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Matthews comes into Laguardia's office to congratulate her. Matthews says it feels good to praise your police work and not your politics for once. And it turns out that Matthews snaked the press conference out from under her, and the only credit she received was what he just said in the office. Dexter decides to see Perry in jail and find out how he knew about Dexter, thinking he's the real ice truck killer. Dexter walks in and says hi, and Perry says, who the fuck are you? And Dexter grins joyfully and looks at the camera as happy music plays. it's still to me is just such a good scene because like this this entire episode up to this point has kind of been a downer and even for the audience as you start to as everything starts to mount that Perry's the ice truck killer but 
then you you get this confirmation that he's clearly not and everything comes back up and you're just like oh dear god I can't wait until next week yeah it's a really great moment yeah some some people might say it's even a Jeremy Downer episode <laughs> I can't I can't oh, stop now. Somebody worse. kill me. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is awful. So uh, the other storyline that we have here is the Ruta versus Paul, uh, where we first meet Paul in person. That starts with Rita going to pick up her kids from school, and they were mistakenly released to Paul. Then Rita is at her apartment venting to Dexter. She's worried that Paul may have kidnapped the kids out of spite. Paul walks in with the kids and makes some excuse about leaving Rita a message at work. And Paul and Dexter have an awkward introduction where Dexter says something like, uh, I have nothing clever to say. I have nothing clever to say. <laughs> Apparently none of us have anything clever to say. We're just sitting in silence. <laughs> Aster tells Rita that Paul is not going to hit her anymore. She made him promise at the carnival. Dexter and Rita talk about Paul while having a mutual foot rub. They're both on the couch rubbing each other's feet. It's like a a foot rub 69. Yeah, that's like if uh if you just had it in like a normal massage situation, like I think I wouldn't have been as as put off by it, but like the the foot rub, it's it's almost graphic. It's like you don't even see that in porn. Depends on what kind of porn you're watching. Rita thinks that Paul really does like having a family and doesn't want to let it go. Uh, Dexter asks when she first noticed the darkness in Paul. She said that she always knew, but she didn't think she deserved better until she found Dexter. Dexter says, I have a dark side too, which Rita laughs and says, somehow I doubt that. And Dexter says, well, I don't hurt innocent people. This this whole scene kind of felt ham-fisted because there at the end, he's like, I don't hurt. I don't hurt. Uh, she's, she's like, you don't hurt people. He's like, well, I don't hurt people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why don't you just sign a confession? But he's testing her to see if she'll question him, <laughs> which he knows that she probably won't. He's just testing to see how far he can push before she'll even ask anything. But Rita doesn't really want to know that he has a dark side. She wants to live in this butterfly unicorn world that Rita lives in, like Snow White, with the birds tweeting around her all the time. And so she... She really doesn't want to know, so he wants to ask just to see how far he can test her to see if she will actually question him further. Because who wouldn't ask a question at that point? I have a dark side. I don't hurt innocent people. Well, who do you hurt would be most people's next question. And it also seems like he's protecting himself, right? Like he's he's trying to figure out what tipped her off about Paul being dangerous that he can avoid so that she never thinks of him that way cocaine it's cocaine i'll tell you that much um (laughs) (laughs) uh paul shows up unannounced with donuts and flowers for rita and then paul loses his temper and tells rita that he can help raise the kids cody puts bacon on his feet yeah that's why he lost the job Um, that's why the actor got kicked out and they were like hey kid do something funny with this bacon and he's like i'm gonna put it on my feet and they're like you're out for season two through eight because that's weird they shouldn't have kept him on season stuff. one yeah <laughs> yeah it's so much feet stuff in this one it's Ugh. all feet and meat and warm dna you got the hot dogs okay. you got the bacon 
and then feed yeah, and who everywhere. pulls out just like unwrapped bacon out of the refrigerator like that's just unsanitary and not true to life i mean not that this shows anywhere near that but i just the the just give it some consideration when you're pulling out bacon and it's not in a receptacle don't eat that bacon reader and dexter talk about ball's confrontation dexter confirms that ball does own the house uh, Dexter attempts to console Rita by rubbing her upper arms and saying, there, there. Which is something that if my uh, if my wife were having a bad day and I did, like, she would just laugh at me no matter what. Like, no matter how hard she was taking it, like, her parents could have just died in a car accident and she would still... That would still make her laugh that that was the... the uh, <laughs> level of... Uh... <laughs> Parents just died in a car accident. What kind of yeah. monster are you? There's no coming back from even going there with that. Good God! <laughs> they're they're there. Rhea asks Dexter why Paul can't just disappear. Dexter internally says he can do that very easily. And then there's this great fake out. Paul hears someone outside his hotel room uh, where he is rolling all of the joints uh, and. He opens the door ready to fight. He basically just makes a fist and walks towards the door, which <laughs> is hilarious. Like, you're going to get in a fight and just walk towards the person that's, that you're in. That's, that's his weapon. He's just like, he almost like takes it out like it's a gun. Look at He's just this like, gun. Whoosh, and starts yeah, walking in the casting the door. session for Paul, they just yeah. had the actors make a fist. And whoever held it the longest got the roll. I really don't want to go down a fisting tangent. So uh, he opens the door, and uh, it turns out it's Rita. They're both relieved. Rita tells him no more showing up unannounced, no more threatening her friends. She tells him that he must sign the divorce papers and see the kids on supervised visits until she thinks he's ready. Paul remarks about how fine Rita is when she's mad, but he signs the divorce papers. And that's the end of the that subplot i love the actor mark pellegrino who played paul yep and but god i wanted him to get his come up and so bad i wanted dexter to be on the other side of that door so <laughs> this scene actually makes me hate him even more because rita has this backbone and she's standing up to him and yet he somehow manipulates her she's all you know she's aggressive and she's telling him this is what I expect and this is what's going to happen and then he starts complimenting her because she's gotten so tough and she just kind of melts and looks really proud and uh, just oh it just made me so sad because it shows that here we think she's really built up this backbone but he melts her in a second yeah he's he's knows how to manipulate her for sure yeah uh I just want to point out the double standard of showing up unannounced because clearly Paul didn't know Rita was going to be at that door or he wouldn't have balled his fist up like he was going to hit Dexter. You know, I mean, is it unreasonable to ask that she just, you know, make a phone call to the hotel that he's staying at rolling his joints before she shows up? Well, to be fair, he's hit her before, so he's probably like, ah, he's equal opportunity. So, well, did he have his fist up when she first looked at him? Was it still reared back when she first saw, like, as he opened the door? It was still reared back like he was going to swing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you yeah. would think that would have been concerning to her. Like, oh. Yeah. Well, they both, they both jump <laughs> yeah. when they recognize who it is. So they both jump, and he puts his hand back. Um, 
and I think she jumps because she doesn't expect him to come with the fist, and he jumps because he's expecting a fight and not Rita. Well, I'm sure she's still traumatized from the times that he did hit her, that you'd think that fist would almost be like a traumatic reaction to even seeing him, you know, rear back. Yeah, well, lesson learned. Yeah. Uh, she might have bacon in her. She might have bacon in her shoes for protection. <laughs> Probably bacon that has expired because it's been out of a receptacle. Yeah. That's why it's been out. Feet. She's been walking around in my. She's been walking it around in Miami, <laughs> massaging it. She still feeds it to her children, but mostly Cody because he's the worst. I, I, I would probably feed it to Cody. Mostly season one, Cody. Kid, yeah. I'm surprised there was a divorce she asked for. I thought they were going to get a hot dog stand together. Like, I think I think those days are over for them. Dang. Yeah. Uh, no, no popping bottles. No the, hot dog after stands. After the bacon incident. After the bacon incident, she went over there and she's like, "Sign these divorce papers. You get Cody. <laughs> I get Aster. And the bacon." <laughs> And she just gets another Cody. Uh, that would have been a great way to explain the switch. <laughs> they give away the Cody and get a new You just keep this Cody. Let's make a deal. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, this episode was directed by Steve Schill. Uh, he previously directed the British uh, show EastEnders between 1995 and 98. Also directed Lawson Law and Order, The Wire, Law and Order Criminal Intent. On Dexter, he directed 13 episodes spread over all eight seasons. And after Dexter, he was a director on Chicago Fire and Law and Order SVU, doing 14 episodes between 2001 and 2015. So he has directed both Eric King as Dokes and Ice Motherfucking T. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that uh, I'd been on a couple of episodes of SVU that he directed. Because even 2015, that was the last year I worked on SVU as a dead yeah. body. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Where your photo was there. Crushed it. He, he, <laughs> you, you know, it's horrible that your photo is in all those episodes because like 98% of the photos are not allowed to be within mm-hmm. 500 yards of children. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Like, see, so your photo is everywhere now. It's like, yeah. No, it, di- it didn't end well. Uh, I'll have to. Uh, the writer was Daniel Cerrone. He was a previous writer and story editor on Charmed. He executive produced the first two seasons of Dexter and wrote six episodes. And after Dexter, he wrote and executive produced The Blacklist and Constantine. Uh, he was, I believe, he was also the writer on Pop and Cherry. Yes. That was the last episode. That of did. course, because that's the most porny title, and this is the most porny episode. We got Pop and Cherry in the episode where we turned everything into porn reference. Well, I mean, this episode is fine <laughs> until it's a hot dog stand. I don't know. I think there are some other right? See, it's not there until you point it out. <laughs> After Dexter, Daniel Cerrone worked on, uh, he wrote and executive produced on The Blacklist and Constantine. So, uh, what do you guys think was the best line of the episode? We had a lot of best lines of the podcast, but let's talk about the episode. Were there any good lines? I'm not so sure. How often do you get to make someone whole? Uh, uh-huh. I, all the lines that you guys thought were bad lines, I thought were good lines. So my, I, my, what one I wrote down was the, we hit the motherfucking mother load. I just was like, yeah, emphasize it. Double down, you know? Or uh, what about goth kid bargaining? Like... <laughs> <laughs> His bargaining prowess. Like, 
I'll do it for less than Jeremy. Wait, how much does Jeremy charge? <laughs> like, right. Great business already, plan. Like low balled yourself. There was one line that I that I did like. Is it? Um, it was when they were. I was extras at the crime scene at the airstream, and he said, "Is it possible the master's on the run? Even more tragic, does he live in a double wide?" That was a good one. Yes. Yeah. That is a great line. There's one line in the entire episode I did not hate. <laughs> <laughs> so we got plenty of uh, worst line nominees out of the way there. Um, how about performance of the episode? This one would be hard not to give to Dexter. Yeah. Get Jeremy Downs really didn't make an impression on me. Yeah, he's, he's just there. I went with Rita just because, again, we see her, you know, going back and forth through these emotions with their situations and having to deal with the return of Paul was pretty emotional. But by the end, she does grow the backbone. But then you're right, she does lose it a little bit when he manipulates her again so i can redact that uh up until that point for the most of the episode i was i was really uh, in for rita i have to go with michael c hall i try not to just because that's my inclination for every episode for the most part but i think this was just overall pretty basic performances there was nothing stand out about any of the performances other than his the smirk at the end just did it uh i think the guy that played perry did a very good job as well uh, sam uh, whitworth yeah, he, he really does a good job of making the audience and the majority of Miami Metro believe that he's the ice truck killer, and we don't really find out for sure that he's not until the end. And even though he's disappointing to Dexter, he does a good job of singing weird lullabies and being a creep with LaGuerta in the interrogation room and all that kind of stuff, so... I thought he was good. Yeah, he was terrifying in the scene when he was arrested and started singing. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. So, yeah, that will do it for Season 1, Episode 7. Um, thanks, guys, for joining me on the podcast. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will see you again next time. Thanks a lot. Bye.